This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today on the show, we're speaking with Mark Wildey, a tax partner at Baxter & Co., an accounting firm based in Kent, England. In the episode, we will be discussing setting up business in the UK and everything that comes with it. We dive into the nitty-gritty, setting up bank accounts, tax reporting requirements, as well as the VAT requirements for selling goods and services into the UK. So if you're thinking about expanding into the UK, then this episode has everything you need to know. Let's jump in. Thank you for joining me on the show today. So you are a tax partner at Baxter & Co based in Kent, England. Tell me about your background and how you got into tax and accounting. It goes back a long way. I think when I finished university, I didn't really have much idea of what I wanted to do at all. And just by chance, I or I think I was introduced to a guy who was a tax partner at what was then Touche Ross, now part of Deloitte's. And he made it sound very glamorous. He told me about how he used to fly in helicopters with Arabs in disguise by castles in the UK and had to fly over to the Caribbean to negotiate the sale of islands. So it sounded very glamorous profession and that's what got me thinking that perhaps that's what I want to do so I did apply to a number of the big four firms and got a place with what was then Coopers and Lybrand now now PwC and that's where I started doing originally tax but then I quickly realized that actually I'd be better to do the ACA although that time I was one of the first people who could do that within the tax department so I did my articles so did auditing experience but I was based within tax and I really found that I enjoyed tax. And initially, I was doing mainly employee tax. I did with a lot of expatriates, people coming to the UK to work here. And subsequently, then I went on to corporate tax. And during my career, I've worked obviously, a lot of it in London, also worked a couple of years in Africa, in Zambia with Deloitte's, and then again back with Deloitte's in their international tax group. More latterly, I was with BDO, but it's always been in tax. and. Well, it has been in corporate tax and international tax. But I think I came to a decision just over eight years ago, nearly nine years ago now, where I decided I was a principal in BDO at that time. I really wasn't quite enjoying it so much because I was dealing with larger corporates, dealing with finance directors, sometimes tax directors. And what I really enjoyed was dealing with smaller businesses where I could deal directly with the people who managed and own those businesses. And provide them with a much broader service, the corporate tax side of their business, but also looking at their personal tax side, how they were remunerated, how they got money out of their company in a tax-efficient way, what their plans were in terms of succession, bringing their children perhaps or family into the business, or perhaps looking to step down and sell the business on to the current management or to somebody else, and also perhaps planning around their whole lives, like inheritance tax planning. So that's what really got me into going to a smaller firm, I did think about starting on my own, but that's quite a tough route to take. And I was quite fortunate, actually, at the time I was looking, the opportunity with Baxter's came up. 
when a previous tax partner had just retired. So they were in need for a new tax partner. And that was just over eight years ago that I joined Baxter's and I've really enjoyed it and looked back since. And the business since I've been there has been growing, obviously growing in tax, but also growing in the other areas in which we're involved in. And I just find it a real joy to go to work every day and to deal with such a varied sort of workload and a varied mix of different types of clients, both from overseas and from the UK. Well, thank you, Mark. The bit I'm interested in is the clients from overseas. So we obviously are a very similar firm in Australia and our podcast is obviously aimed at small and medium-sized businesses in Australia. And the trend that we are seeing at our firm is that companies are looking at overseas markets as part of their growth strategy, particularly the UK and Europe. And you've had obviously some experiences with international tax. So today we want to take a deep dive, look at UK taxes and the legal elements of setting up in the UK and, and what we can do. So, yeah, I really wanted to pick your brain and I think we sound like with your varied experiences, we've yeah. come right to the right place. Well, I hope so, yes. <laughs> we do actually deal with, particularly since Brexit, we've probably had uh, dealing with more inquiries about businesses wanting to sell into the UK, partly because of the added complexities that they can be. Yeah, so first I wanted to discuss setting up a business in the UK what type of structures can be used in carrying on a business in the UK? It can range from just selling to the UK. You can have somebody located in the UK, a person in the UK. And quite a few businesses we come across do have that. So they don't have any formal legal structure, but they employ somebody in the UK. Or sometimes they use an independent contractor to do that work or a more agent. That does give rise to see some tax issues which need to be looked at very carefully particularly if they employ somebody in the UK, there are payroll tax implications, even if the business doesn't have any presence. From there, the next stage is to establish a legal branch in the UK. So that is where it's registered in the UK with our, our company's house and it's on the public record as being a place of business for that overseas business. From there, you go up to having actually a UK corporate. So you incorporate a business in the UK as normally as a subsidiary of the parent in the home country. Branches are less common now because they do have some issues with branches. Once they've decided that they want to be established in the UK, they prefer to go from perhaps having somebody in the UK to actually incorporating having a subsidiary in the UK because it gives them that added protection when they're operating in the UK and makes some of the tax easier as well. When we set up a UK corporate entity, are there any requirements to have resident directors and shareholders? So an Aussie company sitting up in the UK, do they need to find some UK residents or can they do it themselves? Legally, there are no requirements. The shareholders can be resident in whatever country you want and so can the directors. The issues aren't legal issues or tax issues. The issues really are commercial issues. And the big issue that overseas companies are facing at the moment, which has been getting, I say, worse, is trying to set up a UK bank account. Banks have strict requirements as to what they require. And as a minimum, they will need a UK resident director. That was one of my questions because we encountered that for our clients. It's not just the UK, the US has some exactly. really, really strict bank account requirements. And is that because of the AML and anti-money laundering and KYC? What's behind the reason they make it so difficult? Yes, it's about knowing their client. The big banks like to see, they actually like to see somebody physically coming to one of their branch offices so they can be physically identified. We've got now a number of internet banks operating which don't require that. And generally, what we're finding is that clients find it easier to set up with separate account with those banks than one of the big four banks. 
when you set up a bank account and you're not physically there, let's say I'm a director and a shareholder of a UK company, I reside in Australia, do you nominate an employee to transact? Is that part of how you would do it, nominate someone that does the banking, the payments and so on? Once you've set up a bank account, generally you don't have a problem because that can all be done online. It doesn't matter where you are to do that. Even though I have heard recently from a client that when he tries to call his bank from overseas, they won't talk to him because they always ask him whether he's actually present in the UK when he calls them. That is, I would say, unusual. It's the first time I've heard that. And hopefully it's not going to be a trend. No, that's cool. And if the company is wholly owned by a foreign individual or a foreign-owned company, are there any additional lodgement requirements or do you just follow just normal UK tax law and legal requirements? No, generally you follow law and yeah, tax requirements. Just on the in terms of registering with the company, with our company's house, you need to identify or you need to disclose who are the ultimate beneficial owners of the company. We've got a PSC, a Persons of, with Significant Control Register, which is kept maintained in the company's house. You have to go through the various corporate layers back to the individual owners. And it is the responsibility of whoever is incorporating that company, which, for example, that was us, to make sure we've identified those original beneficial owners. And certainly there will be more stringent requirements coming down the road for companies' house, and those are in consultation at the moment, which will restrict the ability of people to just incorporate a company. In terms of timing, let's say you you got all the pre-advice, you spoke to yourself, a decision was made to set up a corporate entity in the UK. Is the timing turnaround pretty quick or going through these hurdles from a foreign perspective takes some time? If somebody comes to us and they, they want to set up a company, provided that we satisfied our own anti-money laundering checks and we've confirmed our identity and they know how they want the company set up in terms of the share structure, they've got a name, then we can get the company set up within 24 to 48 hours. Well, that's pretty quick. That's similar to Australia. So that's awesome. In terms of registrations, though, here in Australia, we have things like ABN, TFN. We have to register for certain things if we employ staff and yeah. this work cover, which is linked to OHS. So, what are the registrations you would need to set up once a business corporate entity is set up to be able to then operate? The companies are separate legal entity and separate entity for tax purposes. When a company is incorporated, it's automatically issued with what we call a tax number, a unique tax reference number, which is means it's been set up by the UK Revenue on their systems and they will expect to see a corporation tax return on an annual basis. Quite a long time ago, you used to have to do that manually, but that's automatically now by the Revenue because they get notified of all new incorporations for both of branches and companies. After that, it depends what you're going to do. So if you're employing somebody, you need to set up a payroll scheme. You need to register again with the revenue for that. That's a separate registration. Depending upon what you're going to do and the volume or the quantity of your sales, you might need to register for VAT as well, or value-added tax. So you'd need to do that if you make taxable sales for VAT purposes and you're going to exceed the threshold of £85,000 within a 12-month period. There are benefits anyway. A lot of people, a lot of our companies will voluntarily register for VAT even before they have to just because that enables them to recover the VAT or the expenses they incur in the UK. 
Okay, so it sounds very similar to Australia. We have, other than the word VAT is probably different to our word, and we'll talk about that, but it sounds very similar. So VAT is value-added tax, which is the equivalent of our GST, goods and services tax. That's what that is. Okay, awesome. Are there any incentives provided that attract foreign business or investments to establish their operations in the UK by the government or the tax department there? Potentially, there are various grants available. You may have seen that the UK has recently announced a series of what we call free ports, which is currently eight locations I've identified, and those will have some tax incentives. They're available not just to overseas businesses, but to UK businesses as well, which want to establish within those areas. They're particularly going to be attractive to businesses which are involved in porting to the UK, businesses which are involved in processing where they're processing in the UK, they're importing materials and processing or manufacturing and then exporting out because they allow you to avoid paying import duties, customs duties and VAT when those goods come into the UK. There are also some enhanced uh, tax allowances in terms of capital expenditure for those types of business. Beyond that, you're looking probably at grants and those will vary depending upon different parts of the country and obviously depending upon your size, you might have an ability to sort of negotiate those. You need to look into those. Generally, for most types of businesses, certainly types of business we deal with, there wouldn't be any particular tax incentives to locate in the UK other than those that are generally available to corporate UK population. Awesome. Let's talk taxes. I've practiced in tax, not my favourite part of my job, but we do have to cover on the tax side of things. What are the taxes like in terms of the UK corporate entity? What are the rates that we pay? How often do they need to pay? How does income tax work? In terms of corporate income taxes, we have what is known as corporation tax. It is a flat rate of 19% on your profits, so there's no, irrespective of the level of profits, other than in the banking sector where there is additional surcharge, and also if you're involved in oil and gas, but that's not something we generally get involved in. Companies pay 19% corporation tax. Most companies pay it annually, and they would normally pay it nine months after the end of their accounting period. If you're classified as a large company, that is where your profits are over £1.5 million, and that is divided by the number of companies you've got in the UK within the same group, then you're required to pay it on a quarterly basis. So obviously we've got a number of our UK clients are within that, Most of the overseas clients we deal with are probably under that threshold, so they just pay the tax annually. The corporation tax return needs to be filed on an annual basis, and that needs to be filed 12 months after the end of the accounting period. The time limits are quite generous. What I would say is the corporation tax rate is going to increase. It's been announced and confirmed that it will increase from April 2023 to 25%. There will still be a small company's rate of 19%, for companies with profits of less than £50,000. And then the rate will increase after that up to the full rate of 25% when profits reach £250,000. That's quite a major change because the rate in the UK has been a flat rate and been stable for quite a few years now. Those rates are lower than the corporate tax rates here in Australia for small businesses where we've just gone down to 25% for small businesses and you guys are going to come back. Yeah, we're just going up. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, 19% quite a good rate. In terms of moving, taking money out of the country, so let's say you've established, made a million dollars, paid your taxes, now the Australian entity wants to access them. Is there additional withholding taxes or how do we get the money out? So there's no withholding taxes on dividends. 
So if a UK company, subsidiary of a, say, an Australian company has made profit, then that profit can be sent back as a dividend, a distribution back to its parent, and there's no withholding tax on that distribution. Withholding taxes generally apply on things like royalty payments and interest payments. But again, in lots of cases, those withholding taxes will be reduced under a relevant double tax treaty. And UK have many, many double tax treaties around the world. I think there was, last time I checked, over 150 of them. Um, so there's... That's right, well over 100, yeah. I think we've got one of the most, well, I think we've probably got the most extensive double tax treaty network. And that pretty much means and taxes paid in the UK are allowed to be used as credits entity that you're receiving the money. That's pretty much the yeah. summation of that, what that means? That will depend upon the domestic rules of the uh, so territorial rules in Australia to the extent if you pay tax in the UK, you get a credit for that. In a lot of cases, obviously, the double tax treaties are used to reduce the level of withholding taxes or to provide protection from taxation in the country if you're operating at a level which is less than the, the permanent establishment threshold. Okay, so you mentioned lodging a tax return was once a year, 12 months after the end of the fiscal year. Other than lodging an income tax return, how often do you submit the VAT as a corporate entity there? VAT is is quite different. Most businesses submit VAT or returns on a quarterly basis. That is default. Very large businesses are required to do it on a monthly basis. And also businesses can opt into a monthly basis, which is typically what you might do if you were in a repayment situation. There is a scheme for smaller traders where they can adopt what's called annual accounting and just submit one annual VAT return, although they have to make payments throughout the year on an estimated basis. The vast majority of businesses we deal with, probably 90%, will be be filing VAT on a quarterly basis. The way you file VAT returns has changed. We're going through a program in the UK called MTD or making tax digital. And that started for VAT for a good reason in that VAT returns, there was already that quarterly filing requirement. So it fitted quite well with VAT, but it's a different system for filing VAT returns from previously. You have to maintain the integrity of the digital links from the prime accounting records of the company, the software company, right through to the submission to the revenue. So you do require specialist software, bridging software to enable you to do that. So we file quite a lot of returns for our clients because we've got that software. That program of MTD is going to be extended for income tax, so requiring income tax returns on a quarterly basis rather than annually as now. And that's coming in from April 24. It is going to then also be required for corporation tax, but there's no date set for that yet. It's possibly likely perhaps in 2026. Awesome. The next section I want to cover off on is actually selling goods and services into the UK without actually having a corporate entity. So I have many clients here, especially the ones that are sort of e-commerce selling stuff globally, could be marketers, digital marketers selling services into the UK. If we decide that we don't want to set up, but we are actually selling into the UK, are there any formalities that foreign entities need to adhere to in order to trade in the UK? Well, if if you're selling into the UK, you're you're trading with the UK as opposed to in the UK, which is quite an important distinction for UK tax purposes and home establishment purposes. So if you're trading with the UK, you've got to think about whether there's going to be any kind of import duties depending upon the product you're importing into the UK. You've got to think about who is going to be the importer. Generally, for most businesses, if you're selling to another business, 
you would want that other business to be the importer. So to be on the documentation as the importer, because it's the importer who is responsible for paying any duties and is responsible for paying the import VAT when it comes into the UK. If your overseas company or Australian company is going to be the importer, then it's importing goods into the UK and it will need to register in the UK for VAT purposes. And there's a process to register as what we call a non-established trader. So that's somebody who has a VAT liability in the UK because in this case they'd be importing goods into the UK but does not have any kind of presence in the UK. We do VAT registrations for a number of those businesses from overseas where they're actually acting as the importer. But generally, if you're an overseas business, you want to avoid being the importer if you can be, unless you've got plans to expand the operations in the UK and you're going to need a VAT registration anyway. It's additional administration, which you don't necessarily want to have to incur. Can we go through an example? So let's say I'm an e-commerce business and let's say I sell diaries or stationery. I have UK customers, but there'll be a mixture of business and consumer. So some businesses buy them for their staff or use them in their business. So it's B2B in essence. And some would be the mum and dad using it for their personal reasons. In that scenario, would I need to register VAT? And what scenario do I need to pay? And who becomes the importer when it could, I could have thousands of customers in the UK? That's where it gets more complicated. It can be relatively simple if you're selling to a business. If you're selling to individuals and you're selling directly, then you do have a requirement to register in the UK for VAT purposes, and you would need to charge those individual customers at UK VAT. The rules have changed the last year. If you're selling through online marketplace, something like eBay or Amazon, and the value of the consignment or the value of the goods you're selling in any one sale to a customer is no more than £135, then it is the online marketplace which is responsible to VAT. You see that Amazon would actually charge the VAT. They would collect the VAT from the customer and they would make a, obviously a charge to you for that service. But they would actually meet your VAT obligations. If you're selling for one of those marketplaces, then again, simpler. If you're selling directly for your own website, then you would need to, to be a VAT register in the UK yourself. And we talked about VAT, but we haven't asked probably the main question is, what's the percentage? We've got a number of different percentages. The main percentage is 20%. We've got a split between taxable services and goods. Taxable just means there is a, a positive VAT rate. There's a 5% rate and there is a 0% rate. And there is also a temporary 12.5% rate for the hospitality industry. But generally, most businesses, unless they're involved in exempt services, Things like insurance, finance, education, or health will be subject to a 20% rate. Well, there we go. Now we know why the corporate tax rates on the lower side, where our GST is at the moment 10%. We're very fortunate that it's 8% 10% for a long time. So it is 20%. And does it work similar if you're a business and you've got VAT, you charge it to your customers, and on the reverse side, when you pay VAT for services, you offset that charge? against what you've charged your customers? Is that how that works? That's correct, yes. So you look at your total sales in the quarter and the VAT you've charged your customers on those and you can net that off and you look then at your input VAT, so the VAT you've incurred on goods and services that you've bought to be consumed by the business and you just remit the net amount of the revenue. There are obviously some input VAT that you can't claim. The common ones are entertainment. Any business entertainment, you can't reclaim the VAT on that also purchase of cars. 
Okay. Back to our e-commerce example, is it different for businesses submitting VAT to the UK when they are not a corporate entity? Is it the same system that they use? It is the same system, whether they constitute in their home countries as a corporate or as individuals or a partnership. There's still goods coming to the UK. There still are import duties, but in the main, it will be VAT. And the issue is, is if the supplier, your Australian business, is not taking care of that VAT, what's going to happen is that typically those goods will be held up by customs and the customer will then have to pay the VAT to get them released. And that's generally not going to be very good for your business or your reputation. That's true. And was there a change, obviously, since Brexit that this has all come about or has this been something that's been around for a long, long time? That's been around for a long time. What's changed is that previously it was very easy for a UK company and vice versa, a European country, to trade with each other within the European Union. Business to business was easy because there was no VAT charge. There were certain thresholds you had to meet. So when you were selling goods, unless your volume of the sales went over a certain limit, different countries had different limits, but they were either 35,000 euros or 100,000 euros then you didn't have to charge the local VAT and you didn't need to register. Once you got over that threshold, you became what's called a distance seller, you would have had to register. So a lot of small businesses, particularly where they were selling to throughout Europe, but any one country in Europe, they might only have a relatively small number of sales, didn't need to register in those countries. What are the penalties generally if you don't do the right thing? With just VAT and lodging VAT as a business that's selling into the UK? The penalties are that if you don't register and the revenue do catch up with you, then they will work out from when you should have been registered, which if you're an overseas business selling goods into the UK, you have a zero threshold. You have to register immediately. So they will say that all the sales you've made into the UK, you should have charged VAT. You haven't charged VAT, but we're going to collect the VAT from you as though you had charged it. And if you've been selling to private customers and consumers, you're unlikely to be able to recover that VAT. So that's going to be a cost to you. And on top of that, they can then charge a penalty. If you're only a year late in registration, then typically they wouldn't charge a penalty. If you're more than that, then they can charge a penalty. And that penalty, it's not a fixed penalty. It can be up to 100% of the VAT, which has been lost. There can be mitigating factors, and it's, it's something that you can negotiate with them. And obviously, if you've come forward and just said, put your hands up and said that you're late registering and you give them all the information they need, you're less likely to be charged a penalty or going to be charged a much lower penalty than if they come to find you. We talked a lot about selling into the UK and we discussed goods, but obviously there are lots of services that are provided to citizens of the UK. How does that work and how does that differ for goods? Yeah, that's a good question because it is can be quite different, the VAT consequences for, for the supply of services. For example, if you were supplying me in the UK with tax or accounting services, then at the moment, you wouldn't need to worry about VAT even if you were supplying to me as a private consumer. Certain types of services would attract VAT in the UK if supplied by an Australian business. We've seen a few of those actually from Australian businesses, and they tend to be around software-type services, whereas a monthly subscription. For those type of what we call electronic services, the place of supply, which determines whether VAT is due, is where the customer, i.e. the UK person, is based. So is the UK. So when you're supplying those type of services, and typically those might be around a subscription model, essentially subscription models for software services, 
then the overseas business would be required to register in the UK. We used to have a system in the UK as part of the European Union where you could just register in the UK and you could sell then throughout the European Union and you just do it through that one UK VAT registration. Now the situation is a little bit more complicated in that if you're selling it, and typically if you're that kind of seller, you'll be selling to a multitude of companies, you would now need to have a separate UK registration set from a European registration. So that is an added complexity which has arisen from the UK leaving the European Union. Fantastic. Mark, unfortunately, it's come to an end. We really probably only just touched on the surface of all the requirements that you need to start a business in the UK, set up a corporate entity, and and even if you're selling goods into the UK. But it's given me a lot of learnings and things that I wasn't aware of. So one thing I did take out of our discussion was that it actually is very similar to Australia. We obviously have either copied you or you copied us or vice versa. So there was a little bit of things that I got out of there going, well, this is not dissimilar to how we do business. So that will definitely give some comfort to our clients that want to expand into the UK. So yeah, I want to thank you for your time and taking the time to chat to us. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, obviously they can call me, but Baxter and Co and yourself, how do we get to reach out to you? We've got a website, baxter.co.uk. So it's a really easy one to remember. And there is an inquiry form on that which you can fill in and then will come to us. Obviously, you can contact me direct using my email, which is mark.wildy at paxter.co.uk. Or again, from the website, you'll see there's our telephone numbers and you can just give us a, a call. Fantastic. Thank you so much and- again. I know it's an early start for you in the UK, so I hope you have a great day and thank you for your time. Thank you very much, sir. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.